Welcome to Nothing to Hide, the Moore and Giles podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Calfee. Moore and Giles is one of America's oldest leather companies. We were founded during the heart of the Great Depression, right here in Lynchburg, Virginia, in 1933. And almost 100 years later, our leadership is still in pursuit of one thing, the world's finest leather. Perhaps we've even touched your life. Maybe it was in a hotel lobby or your home. Or perhaps this morning when you went to get a cup of coffee, you found your favorite leather chair in the corner and you settled in. Well, that leather is probably more in Giles too. Our goal was simply just to share some stories within this podcast, to take you on a journey, to let you experience what we experience. We'll teach you how leather's made and give you insight into some of the subtle nuances of the material. Did you know it's one of man's oldest materials? We're also going to take you to meet some of our favorite people in the world designers and creative influencers and people that are connected to more and giles through one thing leather we hope you join us on the more and giles podcast nothing to hide hey guys we're on the nothing to hide podcast today with designer extraordinaire joe lucas joe's in la in his studio say hey joe hey there how are you good man so you are in la today am i correct I am. I uh, I'm. I've been stuck here for uh, six months, so uh, no traveling for me. Um, but I am here in uh, in the Harbinger showroom and uh, up in my design office, and so happy to be here chatting with you. What's La Cienega Boulevard look like today? La Cienega Boulevard, which uh, is here in LA and is sort of the heart of the design world uh in west hollywood and la where the two meet um it is uh it's good it's getting busier and busier each day um as we go along uh more and more designers are sort of back out on the street shopping uh most of the showrooms are all appointment only so it makes it a little bit trickier and harder for people just to pop in and out like they're used to doing with clients but um so we're a little bit more regimented uh but we're doing all right so we have the benefit of working with Joe all the time because our leather is in his showroom there at Harbinger. But I feel like I see you everywhere, Joe. Um, you're going to make a joke about this, but it's in every magazine. It's in all of my feeds. Um, how in the world did you become Joe Lucas? Oh, geez. Uh, I think you've got a warped uh, warped sense of who Joe Lucas is. But um, I... I started, uh, well, way back when, uh, I actually got to LA as an actor. Um, that's what I studied all through school um, and did some theater for a little bit and then landed in LA uh, to pursue that and did it for a number of years. And on the side, started working for an antiques dealer who also had a shop, um, sort of a similar version of what Harbinger is now actually back in the day, um, like 700 years ago. And I just sort of fell in love with the design world and it became my side job instead of waiting tables or, uh, you know, I was doing some catering on the side too, but basically just to eat for free um, at night. And then I got an opportunity to work for Michael Smith uh, and it was a much more serious full-time job and had to make the decision whether to um, keep keep trying to uh, do the acting or really dig into the design world. And I chose that because I had a great opportunity, um, a job, a job many girls would kill for and I, and I, and I picked it. Um, so that's what really threw me into it full-time. And I uh, 
did a long, hard three years uh, working with Michael. Um, and then my old business partner, Paris Chilcote, uh, and I broke off and went into the design world on our own and started Lucas Studio Inc., uh, the design firm. And a couple of years into that, we basically got talked into by Peter Dunham, a good friend and owner of Hollywood at Home. He was opening Hollywood at Home, his new showroom, and he uh, told me that I had to open uh, a showroom too since he was right above me so that we would have a little uh, sort of grouping of, of shops. Uh, and some for some odd reason, I said yes. Um, and we did that and that's how Harbinger was born. Uh, and it started out very small to begin with. It was like the size of a closet. Uh, and then it's just grown over, oh God, however many years um, into what we are now on La Cienega. How was Harbinger started? Like where did the funding and the space, like how did all that come to be in the beginning? It's well, early on when we were over at Almont Yard, which is this really charming um, little sort of garden setting in West Hollywood, not too far away from here where Peter's was opening Hollywood at home. And that was where our office was. Um, and it literally, I'm not kidding. It was like a, the size of a closet. I think it was originally our office was 400, 500 square feet. And uh, we didn't need all that space for the office. We had like a nice little meeting room. So that's we took half of it and and started at the showroom and it was honestly just a mix of some antiques and some pieces that we had bought at auction or um, at estate sales or um, flea markets or something that was there were favorite things that I was like oh let's get this we'll find one of our clients will we'll be able to work it into a, a project here and there and of course you know had it had it kept forgetting that we had it. And all of a sudden we had like a storage unit full of stuff. Uh, so there wasn't much funding needed because we already had the inventory that was killing our books. Um, so it started as that. And then about a year later, or so another little cottage in that same grouping became available uh, right next door that had like the charm of what I really saw for Harbinger. Mm. Um, so we took that and expanded it and that's where I figured, okay, well, let's try and work in, let's try and get more people coming in, uh, and we'll start like a mini little boutique multi-line showroom. So mm -hmm. I added about, um, three or four wallpaper and fabric lines, um, and a lighting line to try and start rep representing them, Katie Ritter and Iterica Gazzoni. Uh, and prints, et cetera, were like the three fabric and wallpaper lines that we started with. And uh, and it just sort of grew from there. And uh, then when we were sort of busting at the seams uh, and wanting to buy more, because of course that was like my drug of choice was basically just going out and buying furniture and antiques. Um, and it was a good excuse to be able to like go to Europe and shop um that's when we started searching for a bigger space and landed on la cienega and so we went from about 700 square feet to 5,000 square feet uh in a matter of a day and that was very scary so then i had to really look for more lines to represent um 
And then of course, like a year later, I expanded another thousand square feet. So um, I'm done. I'm, I'm burst in seams uh, and no more. We, we always joke that I'm just going to be buried underneath this building that I don't own and I pay rent. Um, so essentially the business kind of organically grew. It fill, filled each space and it kept growing. But at the same time, you're doing design work. Um, was that business growing at the same speed that the showroom was growing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Luca, I still always sort of say that the interior design firm is is the first job, the first and foremost job. That's um, that's the true love, uh, and it pays the bills probably a little bit more. Um, and the showroom is, you know, it's where I put all my favorite things uh, in one space. It is a very nice way for me to be able to do the design side, you know, on my own terms kind of thing. And certainly a nice way to be able to show clients what we do, but at the same time, Harbinger is a little bit of Lucas studio, like on a, you know, like an all night binge uh, too, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting things together that I, I do it in my way, but I do it a little bit over the top because yeah. I have to show off all these fabrics and wallpapers and things. So it's yeah. a little bit of a wacky version of what you know we do for someone's house. It's never going to be as chaotic mm -hmm. as the showroom might look to people, but right. you know, I'm, I'm selling about 50 to 60 different lines of stuff, uh, whether it's lighting, furniture, wallpaper, yeah. hardware, um, all those things. So um, yeah, they feed each other. Yeah. Uh, in a law uh, in a lot and I do think Lucas Studio was able to grow you know a, a lot of it is it Harbinger helps with branding it helps yeah. create sort of that look um, yeah. it's funny these days there are a lot of people who like only know me as Harbinger mm -hmm. uh, and then there are people who only know me as Lucas Studio and uh, it's interesting to see like sort of who who knows me for what um, yeah. And, and educating people that I do both, um, that I also am an interior designer if they only think of me as the showroom. Do you think, looking back, you would do it the same way again? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Harbinger has a very unique look. Um, it's I specifically don't make it look... I think like a typical quote unquote showroom. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not the type of showroom that you walk into the D and D building in New York mm -hmm. or the Pacific design center. Yeah. And it's very organized and it's set up by, uh, by vendor. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, even when I get like new furniture lines here, they're like, okay, great. And so you'll like, I'll get like a little, corner of the showroom and you show all my stuff and I'm like no 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 that's so not how it works here yeah like you are going to be mixed in with everybody yeah. like you might have a table over here next to someone else's sofa and uh and they get a little freaked out at first but I I think my look of how people know me for Harbinger is yeah. it's the eclectic mix of things and it's the putting fabrics that you might never yeah. put together um, and somehow it works. Obviously, it doesn't work for anybody. Someone who only decorates 
you know, an entire room in white boucle is going to come in and probably, you know, vomit uh, when they see <laughs> what Harbinger looks like and, uh, and yeah. to, you know, turn around and run out. Uh, and then there are other people who, you know, love to see a little bit of the East Coast color and yep. sensibility that I have from growing up in New Jersey uh, yeah. mixed in with what I've got. So I think I would do the same. Obviously, I might, yeah. you know, I would make changes. I I had to sort of rush into the new space and things change. And when you get new lines, all yeah. of a sudden you want to show them differently, but you've spent all this money building out uh, displays in one way. And so they're, you know, if money were no object, I would probably redesign the showroom so that it was... Yeah really greased up and and working perfectly but at the same time it's nice to just be able to switch things up and sort of change it change it however you want each time well speaking of the showroom in la you know we've been there what seems like for the last five or six years every year i for think La it's Cienega. actually longer i oh yeah coming for the yeah for legends yeah, and it, we kind of missed it this year with you, right? Like, oh, we so missed it. It was torture to cancel it. It was going to be a really good year. But you're such a good host, and that's kind of what I wanted to allude to, is that is that hospitality like heart that you have, did that come from growing up in a big family? Where did that come from for you? Totally. It, it absolutely did. I'm the youngest of six. Doubt it would shock you to hear. We are not a quiet family. Um, <laughs> uh, we are, you know, there are eight of us, uh, plus all the spouses and 14 grandchildren. And now some of the grandchildren getting married and having babies were about 32. Uh, just just as a uh, immediate family um, so it is pure chaos and we do a lot of parties um, every every summer growing up my parents uh, threw a Labor Day party that uh, was sort of just a no invitation everybody mm. in town knew it was always before like the awards night at the yacht club for sailing and tennis where yeah. we you know spent doing all the summer stuff and uh, it was before that, and everyone just knew, oh, from four to six, we go to the Lucases uh, oh, for that. their for their Labor Day party. And it was literally from when I was, you know, two years old. And mm. finally, one year when, you know, I was in college, probably by then, and everybody was like, why are we still doing this? Mom just gets so stressed yeah. out and mean for the couple of days leading up. And yeah. everybody's everybody's panicked and uh so finally we had to like we decided to cancel it and we didn't know how to get the word out because there's literally <laughs> there's it was not like an evite you send an evite out to say oh by the yeah. way don't show up and there was never an invite so it was literally we had to like pass the word around town and be like don't come don't <laughs> don't not to be rude but please don't come to our house uh and there were sure press releases there, and like, oh yeah Press hits. Honestly, <laughs> sure enough, the Larsons, who were always the ones who arrived like 20 minutes early because they wanted to eat the cherry stone clams uh, before anybody else got to them. Sure enough, they hadn't gotten the word and then <laughs> knock, knock, knock at four o'clock. They were there. We're like, oh, so sorry. Bye. Uh, so yeah, so I grew up in, a, in an entertaining family for sure. And I think it's um, it's become definitely a little bit of a signature thing. I always joke that people only come to Harbinger for the um, for the parties instead of to actually buy stuff because uh, just like I'm not a typical showroom I don't 
I don't just serve like white wine and sparkling water at my parties. I'm like, we're going to have good food and we're going to have good cocktails. uh, And that makes the difference. Like the very first legends party that you guys, Moore and Giles came with the Airstream and you met, you had a bartender, a mixologist come and make like leather infused bourbon. That's right. Uh, And I'm the wimp who can't drink bourbon. And I even pounded like two of those. Uh, and I detest bourbon, but I was like, sure, leather infused, I'll drink that. Like I said earlier, I see your work everywhere, right? And it feels like that you get so much press today. Um, was there a was there a job or a project that pushed you over the edge that kind of became that project that you look back and say, hey, that was a tipping point in my career as a designer? There, you certainly there there are different things as far as like getting published. Um, I think once you get published that first time, it's sort of popping the, popping the interior designer cherry kind of thing. As far as like, it's so hard to get published most of the time. And once you get that first editor say, this is great, let's, let's do it. Then that certainly helps the next job. So I think the first time I, uh, we actually had a job fully published was um, for a traditional home. They were they have been very good to us over the years. Um, and I had become very good friends with Jenny Bradley, who used to be um, the senior senior editor there for a long time. And she, uh, she fell in love with uh, actually one of our very first projects when we went out on my own was my sister's house. Um, they had just moved back from Germany and it was an incredible, um, sort of shore colonial in Rumson, New Jersey. There mm. was this big old house from like 1920. Uh, and she had done a pretty good restoration and redo on it. Um, and that was like our first job to come out on our own um, to do. Mm. And it's and it's a project that I was always proud of because A, it was very much in our wheelhouse of the type of house that we love the style that we love Mm -hmm. um and i got to do it with my sister too and she you know she had a lot to do with a lot of the design choices um so that being published then opened doors to getting the next kind of jobs um but then at the same time as far as just getting repeat work um we were lucky enough to do a project years ago as well with a builder, Matt Morris here in Manhattan beach. Um, who's, who's the biggest builder down in the, in the South Bay area here in Los Angeles. And, um, we had a friend, a mutual friend hooked us up and was like, you guys need to work together. Matt Mm. builds these beautiful homes. You have a very similar taste. I think he, he'll benefit from your design sense and you'll benefit from, uh, from him with all the real estate and the, and the clients and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we did that and we've now, I don't know, 12 years later, something I've done like 22 projects together. Um, so I think that has helped immensely, uh, just as far as getting, getting the next job, um, is always nice when, your name is out there in a small community and yeah. you know people start to say oh that's a matt morris job or that's a that's a lucas studio yeah. job um, yeah. or both kind of thing yeah. you know it's like when uh and people start to maybe copy the the look that you've done in the area yeah. too it's you know yeah. it's 
what is it? Uh, flattery. It's the impersonation is the best flattery, yeah. form of flattery, whatever that saying is. Yeah. Um, so I think that's helped yeah. build us up. Um, and then, you know, the publications, it's hard these days that magazines are failing yeah. and, um, yeah. and now there's so much digital. So you sort of have to make the decision, okay, do we actually save this project because we love it so much? Do we save it and try and get this published in print mm-hmm. or do we just want to get it out there for people yeah. to see and do we try and get it digitally yeah. out there or do I just post it on Instagram and yeah. screw getting it published in general? Yeah, how have you made that decision? It usually depends on, uh, I mean, if I'm going to go for print, then I have to know that the house has everything Mm. that the magazine is going to really need before I sort of not waste time. But, you know, sometimes it could take, it could take three to six months for them to make a decision on if they're going to do it. And then it might take a year for it to yeah. actually find the spot yeah. in the magazine um so you have to know that the job is worth holding on to and not having people see it i mean i can always show it personally to like if a, you know if we're interviewing for a job and it's a good project to show obviously i can show the pictures that we yeah that we have taken um but i can you know it stinks because you like can't really share it on instagram yeah. you can't uh, get it out there um but you know, so there, there are certain jobs and then there are other jobs that might be sm- smaller um, or that you really love, but just aren't, it's missing that one big thing mm-hmm. that, you know, a magazine is going to need. So great. Send it to architecturaldigest.com, you know, and see if they'll just run it digitally because they literally might run it like the next week, um, which is great. And then once it's out there, you can put yep. it on your website. You can spend, show it so much more. So yeah. you still, at this point in your career, choose to do some show houses. I do. Tell us about that. I, we did a lot early on. Um, it's a, I think it's a great way for young designers to get their name out um, and show what they can do. Um, we did a lot. It costs a lot of money uh, out of your own pocket, uh, depending on the way that you do it, too. It depends if you can really calling all your favors uh, to sponsors and to your vendors, then you can try and get away with it not costing too much, but it always, there's always something that comes up that you're like, Oh, wow. That, that was $2,000 that I didn't think I was going to be spending on this or something. Um, And then we took a break from them. And uh, then the last two years we've been asked to, to do them again we did last year we did uh, a really great one for the modernism week in mm-hmm. palm springs um and for the christopher kennedy compound and uh you know they asked us to it was traditional home again and they asked us to do it and i had sort of i got a little high on my horse and i uh, felt felt i had enough gray hair to to finally say, okay, I'll do it, but I, but I'm only going to do it if, you know, I get the living room, uh, which early on, <laughs> early on is yeah. sort of one of the unwritten rules with show houses. Like you don't get to say what you, yeah. you get what you get and you don't get upset. Uh, yeah. and you know, there might, it might be a small enough room that you, you pass on it if you're, you know, you don't yeah. want to do the powder room, uh, or a closet or something like that <laughs> in but, the hallway. Yeah, exactly. But I felt like this was a good enough one that like, 
I wanted to be able to really show what we fully can do right. for a Palm Springs style house, but in the Lucas Studio uh, realm. Um, so we did that and you guys were gracious enough to uh, to loan us a really very pretty new buck, uh, not suede. I always got yelled at by Brooks for calling it suede. That's right, that's right. Um, the new buck. Um, and looked killer on a pair of really incredible chairs in there. And that was a great project because yeah. with all show houses, I always say it's it's the dream client because you're the client. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's very there's usually very few rules that you have to right. do for a show house. So I mean, occasionally you have to you have to work in a couple of the spot the media sponsors, um, and you have to have a couple of their products. Um, but usually that's not too hard to do. Yeah. Um, but you're you're getting free reign, and you get to put together a room exactly how you would do it if the client said yes to everything from day one, yeah. um, which never happens. It's yeah. it's a very, mm. very rare occurrence that the client is like, oh my God, love everything, do it. Um, so that's why I think it's yeah. such a good way of doing it. Um, yeah. And then last year, uh, or actually still this year, uh, technically, uh, in February, we were asked to do Kips Bay right. uh, in Palm Beach. And it, it, you know, a lot of the things people are like, why the hell are you doing a show house in Palm Beach, Florida? Mm -hmm. uh, it's so far away, but if Kips Bay calls, you say yes yeah. uh, to whatever they ask you to do because it's such an amazing organization yeah. and um, such a great way. So it was a very expensive one for us to do from California uh, so far away. But um, again, we got a really amazing space and I was able to sort of work in three spaces. I had a bathroom. I had a bedroom that I did as a sitting room because I didn't yeah. want to do it as a bedroom. And then we had a little loge outdoor space. So I was really able to show like three different types of things that we can, uh, yeah. that we can put together. And, you know, again, it was a mix of all of our favorite vendors, a lot from Harbinger. It's a nice way for me to work mm -hmm. in some of our product, um, but also put together, sort of the dream scenario. And I think it's, they're always for a good cause, um, right. which is nice. And you get a lot of fresh eyes mm -hmm. on the project that people might not normally have seen um, your work. Uh, so yeah, they're good. If you can afford to, if you can afford to do it, time and energy, yeah, um, it's great. My team always, you know, wants to shoot me every time I say <laughs> yes to them because yeah. it's like, oh great, another, free project that we're yeah. not getting paid for. But in the end, hopefully you'll get some work for it. And you never know. I mean, literally someone might call, you know, tomorrow and say, I saw, I think I saw your work in Palm yeah. Springs two years ago yeah. um, and really loved it. And we finally just bought a house out there and would right. love you to. So from a marketing perspective, like you really have to look at it like a marketing spin, not only of your time, Absolutely. your energy, the travel cost. But if you budget it like that, you could argue that you could do one every year if uh, if it fits your budget, so to speak. It's completely marketing and branding, and occasionally you actually sell some some things depending on who comes yeah. into the house. Yeah. Uh, if there's a homeowner, the homeowner sometimes buys. I mean, one of our very first show houses we did in New Jersey in Rumson, which I think I got asked to do because. Uh, yeah. the people 
had seen my sister's project. Yeah. Um, so a couple of years later, we were asked to do one. And we actually ended up getting, they were, it was this really incredible old, um, big Tudor old, uh, you know, probably was an old summer cottage, uh, you know, cause it's 20 minutes outside of uh, Manhattan. Uh, but they were putting on an addition of a family room. So I actually was like, you know what? I would love to do the family room. And you know, mo most people would be like, oh God, I don't want construction. I don't want to deal with the construction. Yeah. But the client was already paying for the construction. It was a brand new room. They were doing it. I said, if I can do that and I'll present, you know, instead of me just doing whatever the hell I want, why don't I put together the plan of what we would do and I'll actually present it to the homeowner and we can tweak it. So it was basically like a mini project and they yeah. ended up buying everything that I put into it, mm -hmm. but you know, for a discount, they basically like at cost, but I was able to yeah. show what we would do. So that was like, that was great. Um, and you know, it really, it's a great way to market it and hopefully sell some things and you've got the photographs and you can use it all the way down the line. So that was one of the follow-up questions I wanted to ask you as for anybody that's listened to this that's a young designer. Like a lot of people are going to look at you and say, man, one day I want to be like Joe, but you got to start somewhere. So what are some mistakes that young designers make often, Joe, or maybe that you made as a young designer? Oh, there's so many. Let me get the scroll out. Here you, here you. Uh, I, I have it in calligraphy. Um, Oh gosh, I think, um, I mean, on the business side of it, know your worth, um, mm. but your worth is going to, you know, is going to grow yep. as you get more and more projects. It's like, you can't come out of the gate too hot and charge too much because you've got yep. nothing to show for, you know, you might yep. be amazing, um, but you have nothing to show the client. So, um, that's hard. I mean, the way that we, the way that we charged changed so many times throughout the years. Uh, I mean, we started our business in 2005. Um, so in 15 years, I mean, we've changed it up a ton, but we finally found the groove once we knew, okay, this really is how we cover our overhead and what mm. the time is worth and what our knowledge is worth. So I think finding a good contract is very helpful it scares a lot of people and again it's one of those things you gotta you have to be comfortable with selling yourself and how you work and how you charge yeah. and why your contract is built the way that it is um because if you hem and haw on it then the clients will sort of beat you up and you know they ask you a question if you if you don't know why there's something that's in there yeah. then you know, then they've got every right to, to fight it. Um, other mistakes are just, you know, measure, measure twice, cut once, uh, type of thing. That old, mm. that old adage. Um, you know, I mean, I think most of my early mistakes were just not measuring, measuring things or checking the scale. Uh, and, you know, and then you end up basically having to own it so you know yeah. every every designer has an inventory uh in the back <laughs> um of of screw-ups that they've done yeah. and there's you know sometimes there's scripts and they're not your fault but the but the client just puts their foot down and is like this isn't what i expected and you you know what you yeah. every once in a while you have to fall on the sword and say okay fine you know what i'll 
yeah. I'll credit for you. I'll buy that back and, um, and work that. So I think always making sure that it is, um, it's going to really work and fit yeah. um, and charge a hundred percent upfront. Uh, these, the designers who are like, Oh, I only take 50%. And then, and then the client, doesn't like something even though it's exactly what they ordered and they refuse to pay yeah then you get then you get screwed so um, okay always charge 100 percent up front when they're when they're approving something they're approving it um, and that's so good you know. so i heard know your worth get a good contract and understand it completely and have the client pay 100 percent up front mm-hmm man that's good that's that was worth the podcast right there thank you right that's good hopefully um so is there a Joe Lucas signature? Like is, is there a thematic throughout all of these projects that you've done? And it may not be visible to me as, you know, uh, an idiot on the outside, but is there something that you kind of hide in each project, Joe? That you're like, man, that's our Joe Lucas signature. I mean, I don't have like a bearded gnome on like little <laughs> shelves hidden away anywhere, but um, I think I am, I mean, people consider and I consider myself known for a very sort of East coast meets West coast, um, style, uh, from growing up on the East. So I've got a little preppy side, Mm -hmm. um, and antiques and things like that, but mixed with a little bit more California sensibility. Um, there's certainly that I have a love for all things rattan and wicker and brass and oak and, um, texture. I, I, I'll always have like a mix of, of texture. Uh, and people joke that, you know, it's it, it, just like Harbinger, uh, you know, you're not going to find a very um, monotone room with, you know, six really important pieces and that's it. It's, you're going to have a pretty layered look yeah. um, for me. I think I like color. I'm not afraid of color and pattern. Um, I can do mellower and I like it. Even our Kipps Bay room uh, was mellow for me, but yet it still had a lot of layering and color in it, but it was a much more subdued version of that. Um, But there's always going to be some blue and green. There's always going to be probably very little, if any red. Um, I'm not a red guy, Um, but yeah, I don't think there's like the secret, you know, candlestick that's in every project. Um, I think it's just the quality of the pieces and the mix of vintage and new. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, but, I, but I do think you can see a project and if anyone knows my work, they'll know it's me. Okay, yeah. Um, which is good. I mean, there's consistency, but you also want to be able to you know, throw people for, for a curveball here and there and, yeah. and surprise and surprise someone. I don't want to, I don't want to be the designer that every project looks the exact same. And right. there are a lot of them and that works for them. And that mm-hmm. might be exactly why they get hired. I think it's a little boring. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't ever want my jobs to, you know, only be black and white or, you know, red and black or um, where it's that I think, I think I'm layered enough that each job looks a little different, but has, has that signature to it. So speaking of signatures, 
uh, a lot of designers are afraid to use leather as a signature, right? Because they're they're uncomfortable with it. They don't, you know, they don't really get it. Fabric makes more sense. It comes on a roll. Um, you, on the other hand, are not afraid of it. What would you tell a designer who's asking you about how to use leather in good design? Oh, I just, I mean, it's so, it's so beautiful. And it's another, it's another texture. I mean, it depends on where you use it. It's a lot of the times it's maybe even the client who fights the designer mm. on it because they don't like the feel of, you know, a leather sofa. Um, cause it might be sticky, you know, it's like if they're, if it's in a hot climb, uh, climate and everybody's always in shorts and it's going to be that nice, oh, stick to the sofa or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just where you use it. Um, you know, finding a great leather that can age well over time and putting it on, you know, a settee, like I've got your wintergreen, uh, uh, what's my favorite Mont Blanc? Uh, Mont Blanc wintergreen. Yeah. Thank you. On a Danish settee yeah. in my living room that's probably stupidly up against a window that gets sun all the time. Yeah. So if I ever move and we try and float that bad boy in a room, I mean, yeah. the whole back of it is going to be a whole different color, but it's like my favorite thing in our living yeah. room to see because every time you sit on it, it it changes and gets beat up uh, and starts to show the patina and the age and the wear of the family and uh, what it's getting. And I think we use leather a ton on Ottoman coffee table, like Ottomans as coffee tables um, because it's durable and it can sort of take a licking. Uh, We use it a lot on dining chairs, um, sort of that off chair, the occasional chair that might not be the every, yeah. the everyday uh, usage. Um, and I think even like wrapping a mirror frame in a leather or a suede or a nubuck or something is, is a cool way of using it. Um, it's, always, it's always great to be able to find like a vintage chair that yeah, sure, this fabric could be pretty on it, but wouldn't it be wacky and cool to find this like weird, rosy, parchmenty combo uh, of a leather from you yeah. guys and like throw it on it and it just all of a sudden adds like yeah. so much more character. Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. that's the fun part of, of leather. Well, and I think what's interesting because of your background in antiques you know this, but like leather pieces that are antiques have a value that's exponentially more than something that yeah. is cloth or fabric. And it's just because of the longevity and the durability of it. Of course. And it's a perceived value too. Like there's a, a sense of like this thing has had a life. I have a really cool pair of um, tufted antique leather chairs that I got in the south of France. And the leather is so beat up and like a little crusty and I die for them how they are and I keep wanting to almost like sell them to one of my clients before yeah. another designer comes in and goes, Oh, these chairs are so great, but we're going to reupholster them. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or even a new leather because like the leather, I was like, this is like a hundred years of beat up. It's per- they're finally yeah. perfect. And, yeah. uh, and it's, it's torture to start new. I also always say, I think a lot of clients are scared of leather like they are of like a marble countertop 
um, instead of doing like a quartz countertop in their kitchen because they don't want to mm. see that first scratch or the yeah. lemon stain or the red wine stain on the marble. I always equate it, equate that to the leather chair or the leather ottoman that you get right. and it's fresh in and all of a sudden it scratches for the first time and they freak out. And they're like, how can we fix this? How can we get rid of it? And I'm like, don't get rid of it. Just like that's the first, you know, yeah. the first cut is the deepest. It's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. But the more it gets, yeah. the prettier the patina is going to get. The, the yeah. prettiest marble slab is the antique one or the you know that yeah. that kitchen island in the south of france that has been worn yeah. through the years and uh is the best part so let the leather get worn and beat up because that's uh that's what's so good but you guys also are so good at making the leathers the options for the ones that won't show right. for those for those clients who have no imagination <laughs> or patience or patience to wait for the beat up and yeah, the patina. That's true. That's there true. are the ones that I'll always call and ask you guys, okay, this client like never, ever, ever wants to see a scar. So yeah. what do I have to go? I have to go to the Barrington, right? For that, yeah, or yeah. it's instead of the Mont Blanc. And yeah. um, you no, know, that's good. Good options. Well, you're a you're a dad of how many dogs too? Uh, no, only one now. Freddie, Freddie left us uh, two years ago now, okay. but um, I feel like I'm stepdad to any any dog that comes uh, comes nearby. Yeah. So, how how do you handle pets at home with the weather? Oh God, Harry's on everything. Uh, he is on everything, and he that you know. I think early on when he like jumped up on that Danish settee, uh, we got we always got nervous about the the pause but um he actually loves to get up there and it just adds to the patina yeah. um i could care less he he gets up and gets on everything so well better question uh, is what do you do when david gets on it <laughs> i seriously i yell at him when he spills his martini all over it. Uh, um yeah good. no his fa his favorite chair is uh is the one that has a hide on hair or mm -hmm. hair on hide uh yeah. on it which looks so good it's a little itchy if you've got a thin shirt uh when you're leaning on it but um but no he loves hanging out in that chair um so joe if people want to find out more about you and your work um i know you've got so many different places for us to find out about joe lucas and harbinger yeah. but like how can we find out more about your work and then also about harbinger and also tell us about what's happening in new york um sure well we've got uh Harbinger in Los Angeles uh, on Instagram is Harbinger LA. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, I opened a much smaller version uh, in New York at 200 Lex, the New York Design Center. Um, and it's a, it's a smattering of, of our lines um, that we have here. I have my furniture collection, the Harbinger by hand collection there and Hector Finch lighting and CW Stockwell fabric and um, a couple other things. And that on Instagram is at Harbinger NYC uh, and Lucas studio. The design firm is just at Lucas studio Inc. And then if you care about a smattering of all of those things put together with some political rants here and there um, and, you know, pictures of dogs and, my feet or my martini or my in and out burger on my lap. Uh, yeah. Then, then you can follow along uh, for the full show at Joey Luke 
j-o-e-y-l-u-k-e on instagram that's uh that's the feed that makes my parents mad. Um, so, uh, or, you know, the website, Lucas Studio Inc. Uh, or HarbingerLA.com. Yep. Uh, and you can sort of get to both ways. Yep. And we'll actually have some, a couple projects coming out soon. We've got uh, David and my, our little uh, pied de in the West Village in New York is coming out in House Beautiful in the next couple months. And, we have a really great project um, in Agora Hills, California, coming out in the November Lux magazine, which has some Morin Giles leather in there. Um, my favorite, I can't remember the color of that really pale sort of pinky parchment. Um, I think it's Mont Blanc as well that's on the dining chairs in there. And I think we have a couple other things from you guys in Amazing. that house, but um, that's gonna look real pretty soon. Well, man, we love you so much, and it was great to talk to you today. Um, if you guys want to check out more of Joe's work, I'll put links to uh, all of his Instagram and his websites in the show notes. Until then, this has been the Nothing to Hide podcast with Daryl Calfee and my man, Joe Lucas. Joe, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.